I know that some of you have been in tears this week watching news reports from Ukraine and it has been absolutely heartbreaking to see a country invaded by a far more powerful neighbour while the rest of the world watches on condemning what's going on, sending weapons, imposing economic sanctions but leaving Ukraine to fight alone and we just feel so helpless. Uh, there's a, a photo from 2016 of Carla and I standing beside a, a Ukrainian couple at the European Championships just before Northern Ireland played Ukraine. And I've been thinking about that couple over the last few days, just wondering where they are now and what they're experiencing. One of my best friends is involved with European Missionary Fellowship. On Thursday morning, they were having the, their monthly uh, Zoom prayer time uh, and it was the morning of the invasion. Uh, so all the different missionaries uh, along with people here in the UK. One of the missionaries was in Kiev, uh, the capital, uh, and my friend said that to listen to his faith was unreal. He had sent his wife and children away to safety, but he was evangelizing away. Uh, many of you know Jeff and Sarah who are uh, members of the Baptist Church. They have friends from Northern Ireland who are missionaries in Ukraine. And here's part of a message that they sent on Thursday. Uh, some of you will have seen it. We are, we are not leaving. How can we? As an elder in the assembly, my responsibility is to shepherd at all times. It would be a terrible testimony to get up and leave the believers here. And the message ends with these words. As we close, the military jets can be heard overhead and we covet your prayers. We are not any braver than you, but we are confident that we are where God would expect us to be. Another pastor in Kiev wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition on Thursday. It begins like this. In recent days, the events from the book of Esther have become real to us in Ukraine. It's as if the decree is signed and Haman has the license to destroy an entire nation. The gallows are ready. Ukraine is simply waiting. And here's how the article finishes. We have decided to stay, both as a family and a church. When this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. And while the church may not fight like the nation, we still believe we have a role to play in this struggle. We will shelter the weak, serve the suffering and mend the broken. And as we do, we offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. One more, a missionary couple working with international mission to Jewish people, used to be known as Christian Witness to Israel. Uh, they sent an update on Thursday saying that they'd sent their youngest daughter uh, 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 to escape. She, she just crossed the border into Moldova, but they had decided to stay and keep serving the Jewish people. So how do we here in Scotland process everything that's going on? And what does a Christian response look like to these atrocities that are being carried out? Sadly, you're not going to find that a Christian response from Scotland's national church. Uh, it seems strange to say, but the, the national church has long given up much pretense of being Christian. Uh, the Church of Scotland released a statement on Thursday with no reference to God or the Bible. Uh, it's night and day different to those messages and articles being written by, by those 
genuine believers in Ukraine that I've just mentioned. Just to quote one line of it, which is representative of the whole thing. They say, we call on the UK government to join with governments across the world and together persuade all parties to agree to a ceasefire and immediately return to the negotiating table. But there's nothing about what God might have to say about the situation. Nothing about the fact that one day President Putin will have to answer for his crimes before the judgment seat of Christ. And nothing about the hope of salvation for even the worst of sinners if they will turn and put their faith in him. So what might a Christian response to the crisis sound like? What if rather than relying on humanistic platitudes we opened our Bibles? Well, that's what we're going to do tonight as we look at Psalm 75 together. It is a a short psalm. You can read it out loud in less than a minute. Uh, I timed myself during the week. Uh, It's a psalm that you could easily read every day this week, uh, using it in your devotions, using it to pray back to God. And it's also a psalm that you can sing. Uh, Now, that, that might seem obvious, But I've been at conferences where ministers have preached a whole sermon on a psalm. And then at the end of the sermon they said, well let's now turn to hymn number whatever. Uh, Many Christians have forgotten that the psalms were meant to be sung. But just in case we need a reminder, the first words of the title of the psalm are to the choir master. And just as a reminder, or if you're not familiar with the Psalms, these titles of the Psalms, the words that are in capitals in our Bibles, they're actually part of the Psalm itself. They're verse 1 in the language the Psalm was originally written in. And so the opening words of this Psalm are to the choir master. These words are meant to be sung. And one of the marks of Christians is that they sing in happy times and in sad times. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but, but a minister once said that, that he knew when people had been converted in his congregation, uh, particularly the men, because they started singing. There was a video going around yesterday of Christians singing it in a metro station in Kiev, uh, where, where they're sheltering. Uh, Margaret Wilson, uh, of course, when when she was being martyred in the Solway Firth at Wigton, she sang uh, Psalm 25. As I've mentioned already, Martin Luther, when he was in trouble, uh, would would say to to his friend Philip Melanchthon, Come, let us sing the 46th and let them do their worst. Other people might sing when they're happy or they might sing when they're winning. But Christians sing all the time. The good days and the bad days. Uh, the weeks that we're, we're glad to be at church uh, and the weeks that we, we've had to, to drag ourselves there. And God has given us songs to sing in the bad times as well as the good times. Sometimes Christians wonder whether we should sing the so-called imprecatory psalms in the New Testament era. That is the Psalms that call for God to judge his enemies. Uh, Maybe we we think it's all a bit uncomfortable singing that God would judge. But I don't imagine that anyone in Ukraine tonight will have a problem uh, singing that God would judge. Uh, When Russians are being airlifted into Ukraine, dressed in Ukrainian military uniform, 
the qualms that comfortable Christians might have when war is far away tend to disappear. What we have in front of us tonight is a song that God has given us to sing at times exactly like this. It's a song that Ukrainian Christians can sing right now. So the psalm begins to the choir master. It's called also in the title both a psalm and a song. It is meant to be sung. And just before we leave the title, we're not going to go through the whole psalm solely, but just before we leave the title, uh, notice it says, according to do not destroy. Uh, maybe those are things we read when we're reading the Bible ourselves and we think, what's, what's that about? Well, most likely it was the name of the tune to which the psalm was to be sung. And how appropriate as we look at Ukraine, as we look at the devastation around Kiev and other cities, and we pray, oh Lord, do not destroy so having looked at the, the title of the psalm, we're now going to spend the rest of our time looking at the main body of the psalm under two headings. And firstly, uh, we see that even in the midst of a crisis, we can give thanks. Even in the midst of a crisis, we can give thanks. This psalm was clearly written at a time of, of crisis. Uh, sometimes we, we know that from the titles of, of the psalms themselves. Uh, but this time it's pretty clear from the body of the psalm. Uh, and we do even have a hint in the title with those words, do not destroy. In verse 2, the fact that, that the, the writer is looking to the day when God will judge, it implies that there are those who, who at that present moment were getting away with things. Verses 4 and 10 talk about the horns of the wicked. Horn is a picture, is picture language for strength, uh, for what people use to attack others. So God's people are under attack from the wicked in this psalm. They're hurting at their hands. And then just in case those hints aren't enough to tell us that there's a crisis going on, verse 3 begins, When the earth totters on all its inhabitants. When the earth totters. Uh, it feels tonight like the whole country of Ukraine is tottering. Uh, a whole country of 40 million people whose army is so vastly outnumbered by their enemies, whose military equipment is so uh, much less impressive. For those in Ukraine or, or those with loved ones there, the earth is tottering. And of course, it's not only about Ukraine. However unlikely it might be, people are starting to ask a question about whether this will lead to World War III. I don't normally look at the news on a Sunday, but I think a time like this is an exception. And the latest is that Putin is putting his nuclear deterrent on special alert. Who would have thought even a couple of weeks ago that, that we've been talking about a nation of the world, even suggesting it's going to use nuclear weapons? So this image of the earth tottering is so relevant. And yet, perhaps surprisingly, the psalm begins with thanksgiving. The earth is tottering, but the opening words are, We give thanks to you, O God. But we know what that's like, don't we? Even at a time of crisis, even at a time when the day that we've, we've dreaded for so long actually comes, 
we find that there are always reasons for thanksgiving. I'm sure that those of us who have been believers for a while can testify that we have never reached a point where we have nothing to thank God for. And we are confident that we never will. And particularly here we give thanks to God because his name is near. God's name is a way of talking about God's character, about uh, how God reveals himself to us, about how he, he shows us what he's like. And God here is near to his people. His name is near. This God is near to us even in a crisis. In fact, especially in a crisis. The unbeliever might look at the situation in Ukraine tonight and say, well, where is God? And at times Christians may ask the same question. We began our worship this morning singing from Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? But from from all that we're hearing, that's not what Christians in Ukraine are asking right now. Uh, Perhaps some are, but from the the articles, the, the videos, the prayer points being sent, you can sense that they know that God is with them. A church planter about five hours south of Kiev put it like this in an article on Friday. There is only one true king and the little tyrants of the world will ultimately only play into his great victory. His promises are sure, his victory inevitable. Those aren't the words of someone who's asking, where is God? God's people know what it is to be able to say, even in the midst of a crisis, that we give thanks for your name is near. And if we are ever in doubt about God's nearness, as we are at times, all we have to do is think of the coming of Jesus into the world. Jesus, the one who perfectly reveals to us what God is like. And in him, God came right down. If you're ever tempted to think that God is distant, And far from the events of this world, far from the events of your life at the moment, we'll look at the manger and look at the cross. This is not a God who stands far away. We can give thanks that we can give thanks even in a crisis because God is near, and in Christ He has proven that once and for all. Something else that helps us to give thanks in a crisis is to remember God's faithfulness to us in the past. As the last part of verse 1 puts it, we recount your wondrous deeds. I was asked to to give an update about things in Stranard to one of the Irish RP churches on Zoom this week. And there was talk about some of the answers to prayer that, that, that we've experienced here over the last six and a half years. Uh, and the process of actually doing that uh, and going over those things uh, was such an encouragement to my own soul. If all we can see is a present crisis in front of us, it's easy to be pessimistic. But recounting, it's a great word, isn't it? Recounting his wondrous deeds will soon lift our spirits. The old song wasn't wrong when it said, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, Count your many blessings, name them one by one, 
And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So firstly, this evening, even in the midst of a crisis, we can give thanks. Both because God is near to us, he's not a distant God. And because we can think back at all the ways he has been with us up to this point. Firstly, then, even in the midst of a crisis, we can give thanks. The the second of our two points this evening, in the midst of a crisis, remember that judgment is coming. In the midst of a crisis, remember that judgment is coming. One of the things about the current crisis that, that is hardest to take is that Putin seems to be getting away with it. Yes, the invasion may be going slower than anticipated, but the most that the rest of the world seems able to do is impose economic sanctions, uh, perhaps send weapons, but but not send troops. Uh, um, Sanctions are are the biggest weapon against a country which, in the words of an article I read this week, has been sanction-proofing their economy for years. They've been planning this. They've been sanction-proofing their economy. They knew it was coming. They prepared for it. One of the headlines this week was that Russia has been banned from the Eurovision Song Contest. It's almost laughable. It's so pathetic. As if Putin is going to be having second thoughts now that they've been banned from Eurovision. Uh, of course, that's not what it's intended to be, but, but it is just, just pathetic. It shows uh, how, how little we can do. But if there is no God, if there's no day of judgment coming, then an economic slap on the wrists might be all that Putin ever faces for what he is doing at this very moment. But God says to Mr. Putin tonight in verse 2 here, At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. I will judge. Those three words should strike fear into his heart. It was reported yesterday that the Polish government have formed a centre for documenting Russian crimes in Ukraine. Perhaps one day those documents might be used to to try people for war crimes. But rest assured that every Russian crime in Ukraine is being documented by God. Putin's ultimate day of reckoning isn't going to come at the hands of the UK. It's not going to come at the hands of Europe. It's going to come at the hands of God. And so in light of that we can say to the boastful in verse 4, do not boast. Putin's military might won't do him any good on the day of judgment, so he shouldn't boast. The little tyrants of the world will ultimately only play into his great victory. His promises are sure, his victory inevitable. So uh, pipe down Putin, God would say to him. And we can also say to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Putin has been doing exactly that this week with his thinly veiled and now not even veiled at all threats of nuclear action. Warning countries who interfere that you will face consequences that you have never faced in your entire history. What's he doing? When the words of this psalm, he's lifting up his horn, he's speaking with haughty neck. He's acting as if he is the one who will execute judgment. He's exalting himself. But verse 7, it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. 
is not what we saw last week with, with Joseph. God was the one who exalted him. Just as God was the one who, who highly exalted even the Lord Jesus himself. And Putin, in seeking to exalt himself, will be crushed. Do we not see that again and again with, with kings in the Bible? So what does lie in store for Putin if he doesn't repent, which we pray that he does? Well, verse 8 says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. A cup is often used in the Bible as a symbol for God's judgment. Revelation 14 says that if anyone worships the beast, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. There is a day of judgment coming, and no one will be able to stand in that day unless they're covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That reminds us tonight that Putin isn't the only one who stands under threat of judgment. Britain itself is a nation ripe for judgment, for all that it might be on the right side of the current crisis. The head of MI6, the the British intelligence agency, posted the following tweet on Friday evening. Uh, With all that's going on in the world, what do you think he chose to write about? Well, we'll wait for this. This is his takeaway application of what's going on in the world. With the tragedy and destruction unfolding so distressingly in Ukraine, we should remember the values and hard-fought freedoms that distinguish us from Putin. None more than LGBT plus rights. So let's resume our series of tweets to mark LGBT History Month. And as various people have pointed out, it's that sort of obsession with virtue signalling and identity politics that make the West seem such a soft target for men like Putin. As someone put it this week, the West lost its mind and its morals before it lost Ukraine. When you lose the basic distinction between men and women, you've lost the basic distinction between good and evil. Our nation, with all its rich heritage, calls good evil and evil good. There are moves in England and Scotland as well to to ban conversion therapy, which, which... can easily be defined as outlawing normal Christian belief and Christian preaching. Verse 8 here talks about the wicked of the earth. And according to God's definition, Britain is wicked. More wicked than Russia, I think we can say, in light of, in light of all the, the advantages that we've had. And yet we can't even stop there. We, we can't stop with pointing the finger at our own nation Because this cup of God's wrath is a cup that that every last one of us deserves to drink. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says that there is none righteous, no not one. If your trust is not in Jesus Christ this evening, then the fact that there is a day of judgment coming for, for Putin shouldn't be much solace to you. Because that same day of judgment will come to you as well. There is a cup for him to drink, but there is a cup for you to drink as well. And unlike those who fled from Kiev in recent days, there will be no opportunity to escape. 
On the day Russia invaded, there was still time to leave Kiev. But when the day of judgment comes, there will be no opportunity to escape. And the Christian hope isn't that we can live lives that are good enough to escape this. Rather, the Christian hope is that there is no cup of God's wrath for us. Not because we don't deserve there to be one, but because it's already been drunk. Jesus drank it in our place. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he, he asked his father, If it is possible, take this cup from me. But there was no other way. No other way to save his people. On the cross, he drained it down to the dregs. And that means there's nothing left for us to drink. And so no one who has been born again tonight, no one who has their trust in Jesus Christ, needs to uh, be uh, concerned and anxious about the day of judgment. Uh, no one uh, who has been born again uh, needs to be hoping that they'll be okay, but, but not quite sure. Because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on what the Son of God has done in our place. He lived the life we failed to live. Then he drank the cup we deserve to drink. And so our second thing to remember in a crisis is that judgment is coming. But we don't say that in a sanctimonious way because we know that we too deserve God's judgment. That's not to say that there aren't degrees of punishment in hell. It's not to say that some sins aren't worse than others. But there are only two eternal destinations. Heaven or hell. Every single one of us in this building tonight will go to one or the other. And in the face of such unprovoked atrocities as we are witnessing at the moment, the fact that there will be a day of judgment for those who don't repent gives us confidence that the wicked will not get away with what they're doing. It reminds us that God does see that he does note injustice and distress. And one day he will do something about it. People ask, why doesn't God do something about it? Well, if God came in judgment now... It would mean destruction, not just for uh, the aggressors in this conflict, but for everyone who's outside of Jesus Christ. One day God will do something about it. And that is something that we are allowed to look forward to. If you're living in Ukraine at the moment, do you think you could sleep easy at night? No, as long as Russian forces are inside Ukraine, no one will sleep easy. You can't rest in your bed knowing that evil men are out there. But that actually shows us why in verse 10 God's people rejoice, both in the fact that the horns of the righteous will be lifted up and that the horns of the wicked will be cut off. People ask, why can't you just sing about God's goodness to his people? Why do you have to sing about God's judgment on the wicked as well? But the two go together. Until the wicked are neutralised, God's people won't know full and final rest. The new heavens and the new earth that, that await us are only so glorious because there is no prospect of war, no prospect of suffering, sorrow or death. And the fact that we can be there. The fact that we will be counted among the righteous rather than the wicked is only because the Lord Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath in our place. And so even in the midst of a crisis, we can give thanks. And even in the midst of a crisis, remember that judgment 
is coming. We can look back with thankfulness to how God has been with us in the past. And we can look forward to the day when all wrongs will be put to right. That's what they, they look forward to in Narnia, in the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. That when Aslan came, wrongs would be put to right. And we too have a day coming when wrongs will be put to right. However long this crisis lasts, however much it personally affects us, all wrongs will be put to right. Nothing that is hidden that will not be revealed. And for now, those truths, uh, by God's grace, are enough to keep us going. Amen. Well, before coming again to pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, we will sing this psalm that we've just been looking at, Psalm number 75, starting on page 165. Psalm 75, page 165. And the tune will be Huddersfield 99. So Psalm 75, tune 99. A psalm written four times in which the earth itself is tottering uh, a psalm reminding us that we can give thanks even in the midst of a crisis and a psalm that reminds us that we don't have to to panic because we know that judgment is coming Uh, so psalm 75 tune 99 will stand and sing praise